0: From understanding the news of today to explaining principles which will last a lifetime, you're listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, equipping pastors and church leaders across rural America and beyond to meet the challenges of ministry while advancing the kingdom of God in your local community and in our world. Hello friends, this is Michael Bond and I am joined by pastors Mel Massengale and Todd Stanley. Good morning afternoon or evening, good night. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so last. Uh, Salutations. Last episode, we had a lot of deep conversation with Pastor Brian Kelly on mental health. You should check that out if you have not already. Today, we are going to depart from the deep waters of mental health and into the deep waters of money. Uh, so, <laughs> so for, for some of you, your money is a part of your mental health, unfortunately. Uh, but. Maybe we can get into some of that too. Okay, so let's start off with this. I've heard pastors say that if a church stores away the income from their giving instead of reinvesting it into the kingdom, then God will remove their wealth from them. So where does Summit draw its line between having a savings account, protecting good margins, and putting money back into kingdom investments? And maybe once we answer that question, we can contrast the way we do it or the uh, contrast this kind of uh, reinvesting habits with some unhealthy spending habits that you've seen from other churches. So, so first question, let's, let's just take this apart piece by piece. Do you think it's true that when a church hoards money that providentially they'll end up losing it, that, that, that God will step in and, and take it away? <laughs> <laughs> i I was gonna say
1: yes until you put that caveat that god (laughs) will step in (laughs) and pluck it from the kung fu grip um todd do you want to start
2: i can yeah Yeah, go ahead um do i think god will take it away i i would i would maybe hesitate to to say that um and i would also say that well, look, a qualified yes. I'll, I'll go there. A qualified yes. <laughs> uh, I think that we are called to be good stewards of the resources that God has placed into our hands, whether that's financial, whether that's the people, you know, uh, whether that's the building, whether that's whatever it might be. The things that God has placed into our hands, we are called to be good stewards of those things. And the Scripture is clear, like if we look at the, the parable of the talents, that if we do not use those well right, that that God's, God's pronouncement over us will be that we have been wicked and lazy servants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a call for us to steward well the things that God has placed in our hands, no matter what they are. Um, and there is a consequence for not doing so. Yeah, and I
1: think the, the principle of generosity that, that most pastors um, teach their people is the same principles that apply to a church as well that um, a lot of churches, in my experience, what they do is they will say, well, we're being wise, but wise is really um, stinginess. It's Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. lack of faith or trust. And so, hey, our future is dependent on us building a war chest and that's our security and that's our safety. And it really has nothing to do with Hey, we're going to trust God just in the same way that we ask our people to trust God. Right. We as a church are going to trust God, and so I don't. Um, I think it has less to do with the actual dollars and cents and I, and more to do with hey, what's the condition of our heart that's causing us to go? I've got to sock money away like a <laughs> like a uh, <laughs> a squirrel in the in the fall to make sure we're going to make it through the winter. Um, and again, you want to be wise, but. Um, I mean, gosh, we've seen churches that have so much money set aside and they are dying because their focus drifted inward into how do we protect what we have instead of keeping their focus outward on how do we reach the lost and disciple who we win. So
0: Yeah, and it can be a little bit deceptive too, right? Because a church can survive for a really long t- An unhealthy church oh, can survive for a, a really long, long time. time on like an inherited uh-huh. On a trust. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, they can. And, and even if you don't have, um, I mean, and there's some pastors of churches that are probably listening to this, that you're in a situation where your building's paid off. Maybe you're the only staff member or maybe you are on social security and your church gives you a stipend of some kind or housing. So really there's not a lot of overhead um, for the church as far as bills and things like that. And so a church like that uh, can can survive a long time because all they're doing is paying right. utilities, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the death throes are long in those moments. Like hospice is with that church a long time.
0: Uh, yeah, and that's really – I mean, that just depletes the soul of the minister, depletes the souls of the people involved. Like it's not – that survival is the goal here. Yeah. It's not that just just sustaining is always the right thing. I mean, like th- these, these, yeah. these these cultures are unhealthy. If if you're in death throes for thirty or forty years, mm-hmm. that's not a pleasant place to be. Yeah. for anyone. Yeah.
1: Um, and Todd said earlier uh, that it's about multiplication. It's not just about survival. And if our goal is how do we get through, or how do we not die? That's probably the wrong vision, the wrong focus.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will. I will I do want to kind of speak to part of this. You, know, you said uh, you're asking about if a church stores away their income instead of reinvesting it into the kingdom of God, will God remove their wealth, wealth from them? I don't think it's necessarily – not even necessarily. I don't want to qualify this. It's not an either-or proposition. Yeah. Right? Uh, as good stewards, we are called both to – have enough of a store to weather a difficult season to um to take you know there are unforeseen emergency things that come up there are there are all kinds of good reasons for churches to have savings to have something like a uh, you know to have a chest right to have you know whatever to have something mm-hmm. set aside the problem comes in when we uh, when we choose that over and above doing kingdom work. Yeah. When things become completely insulated, right? If if a pastor is if we're standing on our platforms encouraging our people who are living paycheck to paycheck to pay their tithe, right? To to trust God. And 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 we should be encouraging them to do that, right? I mean, the scripture says, "Test me and see if I will not, you know." And so but if we're going to if we're going to encourage our people to do that and we're not willing to live that way as pastors and leaders, Well, man, that's, that's problem, you know? Uh, And I think, I think there will be, uh, you know, there, there will be, you know, uh, well, we'll have to
0: answer for that. (laughs) Uh, Long story short. This is where the discussion of margins, I think becomes super interesting um, because I want to know in Summit's case, where do we draw the line uh, between having a savings account and protecting good margins? Uh, over against putting money back into kingdom investments, because what we're not saying here, as far as I understand is 100% of what comes in is 100% of what goes out. Mm -hmm. And because that that's irresponsibility and stewardship. And so there is a middle ground here. There is a balancing point and maybe it's different for each organization, but what are some principles that you've put in play to help protect good margins here at summit? Well, let me
1: start with this. Um, Churches are nonprofits. And I saw a case. Shoot, where was that at? I should have been prepared for this. I saw a case where a hospital, I think it was in California, was stripped of its nonprofit status because they found they were sued because they found that they were actually functioning as a for profit organization. <laughs> um, and basically, what they were doing is they were putting practices in place that were focused on. They were focused on the finances and um, focused on rewarding people for um, for profits. And the court decided, hey, this is illegal and you are a for-profit company. And um, and so churches need to be careful what their focus is and how they are functioning Because just because we're a church doesn't mean we couldn't get sued and lose because we're functioning like a for-profit company. And even if that's off the table, it's important for us to understand that our primary purpose is not – Um, not to turn a profit at the end of the year for the shareholders in our church. Now, that makes your business meetings a whole lot easier when you're finishing the year in the black. Let's be honest, because I've been part of some bad business meetings um, when I was associate pastor at places that it was brutal. We knew we finished in the red and there is going to be hell to pay at the business meeting. And sure enough, man, those are tough business meetings. So if you can finish in the black for a year for your fiscal year, it makes life a lot easier But, um, cause we finished, we finished, um, let me think we might've had one year since aside from the year we built Blairsville, which we had a huge red mark on our finances, but we had savings to cover it and we were prepared and all that kind of stuff. But as far as the, the P and L statement, it looked like we were in the red. So uh, other than that, I think we've been in the black every single year since I've been here and that's intentional because we try to budget, um, and I might be getting them too much into the weeds. If I am, you can. Correct well, me.
0: I, I want to know, um, like, w- enlighten me a bit on the distinction between, in a church context, uh, the nonprofit over against for profit. So, in, in my mind, what I'm picturing is, if you gathered the board together and they each got, they each received a payout yeah, dependent yeah. on the year's yeah. revenue, yeah. that would th- then you would enter the waters of po- for profit. Yeah,
1: yeah, or um, um. Or if, uh, yeah, incentives for employees or, you know, those kind of things could drift into the area of of for-profit functioning. And even with uh, the pay of the pastor, there's some question about is it – how ethical is it for a pastor to be paid a percentage of the income of the church right and that is historically that's a something that happened a lot more i think in the past and what would happen is smaller churches who couldn't afford to pay a pastor would basically tell the pastor we'll give you a percentage of the undesignated income and that will be your pay and that's a great thing to do when you're bringing in you know you say hey we'll give you 5% of the undesignated income and that means $5000 um, you know for the year it's like great, we got a great deal, but uh, there was a pastor in Oklahoma City that I remember. He had a he came to a church with that kind of deal, and he grew the church to church to one of the biggest churches in America. And he was still on that percentage when they were bringing in tens of million dollars a year in the mid eighties. So I mean, it can that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. is is at the very least a gray area, and you got to be careful about it. Um, but for the most part, most churches don't have to worry about that um, because. Because of the way they function, they're doing a lot of charitable good. Because that's one of the standards for a nonprofit. Um, a, a lot of their income has to be turned back into services in the community that is um, relieving the government of service. And so most churches are doing that kind of stuff to some degree or another uh, by default. Because even if you're doing some some care for single moms or you know th- stuff for homeless or a food bank, all those things would qualify. So. So you don't have a ton to worry about, but it's easy for us if we're not careful to focus on just that bottom line. That's our measure of success. Um, and, again, even for us, man, I want to have a healthy bottom line because it it turns into um, kingdom wins. Because if I've got a margin, it allows me to do things in the kingdom that I couldn't do if I had no margin.
0: Do you think that this is why some pastors will um, – as they grow as their churches grow and they become they, their sphere of influence begins to broaden that they will uh start putting their own name on things so for instance <laughs> um i think of like john MacArthur. Uh-huh. um he, it's, i think it's sun valley church is is the name of his church i, I might be mm-hmm. getting that wrong um i think it's strange fire <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could it could be that's our um, next podcast <laughs> that would be an interesting one um So in his case, I don't know how many editions of the MacArthur Study Bible have sold, probably a lot. And that money's going somewhere. And Mm -hmm. so MacArthur as a brand is distinct from the church that he's served at all of these years. And that is to protect nonprofit status. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to, I think I'm understanding now, at least in part, I'm trying to be most charitable to pastors who start to do business under their own name. Yeah. Um, and I think that that might be a way of maximum charity to think about that. It's like, okay, well, they're trying to protect their church from being deemed a for-profit company. And if you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have a website that's self-titled. It's just my name and that's the website. Right. And then if that thing continues to grow, then I can collect profits from that. But that doesn't compromise the church. Yeah. And so it does, it gets so weird here. <laughs> this territory, this space gets strange because It's like, do you say, okay, well, I'm not going to sell t-shirts in the lobby anymore because, you know, but then if that's just, if the proceeds from the merch sales are going towards supporting the ministry and the ministry is actually a benevolence based ministry, then in fact, you're still operating as a nonprofit. So yeah, I, I wanted to know more about that because I've always thought that those lines seemed gray, but I thought it might've been my ignorance that made them seem gray, but it, it turns out that they might actually just be gray.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and Um, I have a personal issue, like this is just a pet peeve. (laughs) I hate it when I look at a pastor's social media and I have no idea where they pastor, but they've got, especially if they've got their own personal website up, uh, that irritates the crud out of me. And what really bothers me is situations where pastors maybe have a separate ministry for their own ministry, but they leverage their influence with the church to build their, their personal ministry, Mm -hmm. Um, and you've seen there's some notable cases where pastors have um, leverage their church and their church because this is one of the things like with books, they're going to ask you a publisher wants to know how big is your audience. So they want to know your social media, how many followers do you have, how many people are in your church, because that's going to lend credibility to you. But it also, this is kind of a dirty little secret in the publishing industry if you've got a mega church, there are things you can do to leverage that to help build your brand and possibly get you on the New York Times bestsellers list. And this uh-huh. is something that came out with. Mark Driscoll. Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll a little bit. But it's something that is not uncommon in pastors um, in the publishing world. And and not to paint all pastors with a broad brush. There's a bunch of pastors like I know Rick Warren. I don't think he ever – no, I take it back. It wasn't Rick Warren. Um, There was a pastor that had a big book, and he never took a dime from it. It might have been Robert Morris now that I think of it. Was it? I think he – I think he donated all the proceeds from the Blessed Life back to the church. I think that's right. Um, And so there are a lot of pastors that do a lot of good with that. Yeah,
2: Rick Warren stopped taking a paycheck from the church. That's what it
1: was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he was – yeah, never mind. We could get on a whole (laughs) other – So again, we've just got to be careful. It comes back to the, what is the motivation of my heart? Like, what is the motivation of a church that says, we're gonna sock all this money away? What's the motivation of a pastor who has um, a ministry side hustle? That's great that you can go preach or go lead worship or go whatever, but like, are you trying to profit from your people? Um, And that's one of the reasons like we don't, I don't want our staff to have multi-level marketing businesses um, because it's like, well, you're gonna profit from the people and as minister how can we say we're the chief servants if it's like hey i'm here to serve you but i need you to sign up for this team and i need you to sign up eight people under you on this team it just feels like we're taking from them instead of serving them
0: yeah so this is why we wouldn't have like we have you know i'm sure many business owners that are Mm -hmm. members of summit and we don't we don't house their advertising there because we don't want to you know even even though that would be good for their business because Mm -hmm. of all the people that come to summit that would be crossing a line where we would start to.
1: Yeah. And I just don't want to do that. There's yellow pages and there's the internet and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not, cause we've had a bunch of people say we need a business directory and what for? Well, so we can know who, what businesses are in the church and we can support them. And I was like, I get that. If you ever need a plumber, call me. If you ever
0: need call and I will tell you, but anyway, yeah, that's a whole yeah. other issue. Um, well, so when you help other churches or whenever you meet, uh, the leadership of other churches, When you've encountered churches that have bad spending habits or Mm -hmm. unhealthy spending habits, what have been the most common unhealthy spending habits? What are the the easiest ones to fall into?
1: (laughs) Well, Todd mentioned earlier the people in our church that live paycheck to paycheck, but it's shocking how many churches live paycheck to paycheck. You know, when we do consulting with churches or a pastor calls and says, can we talk, man, I'm struggling, or hey, we're in trouble. One of the first things I'll do is say, "Hey, how are the finances?" Because just like in a marriage, if the finances are bad in a marriage, it creates tension Tension. across the marriage. Yeah. And if 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 I see a church that's in tension and there's conflict, there's an excellent chance that there is there's problems in the finances. Um, And so, yeah, you see that, and that's a symptom, and the symptom is um, connected to. Just bad management. How are we managing yeah. what we have? Uh,
2: well, and let's be honest, like this part of this conversation is probably far more applicable to our audience than whether or not they're profiting from the book right. that they've no got doubt. in the lobby. You know what I mean? And so. No doubt. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> are yeah, you are, are you are you on the new york times bestseller list right. are if you, you are i'm sure, yeah. are, I'm you, sure are, are, are you is abusing your
2: congregation of yeah. 75 people to <laughs> to get onto the new york times bestseller list we need you all
0: to buy a thousand books <laughs> 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 oh, stranger things have happened <laughs>
1: um but yeah yeah i think um we see that a lot and and it's an easy habit to fall into because it's shocking how many times i'll ask a pastor like when do you write your budget? Well, we don't have a budget. Okay. Let's talk about that. Well, how do you know what you're spending? Well, we just spend, we look and go, do we have the money in our account? Yes, we do. Okay. We can buy that. And, um, tons and tons of pastors function like that. And some of that is because they might have a finance committee and the finance committee are the gatekeepers to the money. So the pastors don't really know. Um, but, uh, and there was a season with summit that our finances were not we had built our building, and so we were um, a little house poor at the time just because we were trying to – we'd gone from like an $8,000 a month mortgage payment to $25,000 a month, which was a big jump for us at the time. And we had not adjusted yet. We had seen people come, but we didn't see the finances follow yet because there's, a, there's right. a curve to that. And, um, and so our finances were tight, and I was not very involved in the finances um, and we budgeted, we had a budget and, but I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't paying attention to income or, you know, any of those kind of things or who's giving or not giving. I was just disconnected. I was like, well, it'll work out. And, um, and when things got tight, uh, there were a couple of things that happened that I was like, okay, I probably need to be more involved. And so I started sitting in on our budget meetings every week yeah. and I could see, okay, here's where the money is going. And here's where we are actually spending it. And it helped me have a better idea about it just so I could speak into it a little differently and go, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Or we're going to do that, but we're going to wait three months or whatever it is. Um, and so that was, that was huge for me. And that's one of the things we try to do with churches is just go, hey, let's get a plan. And, hey, if you know your budget always goes down because attendance goes down in July, why don't you not spend in July? Like plan that way. You know, if you know you always have – you make budget or you – You know, you always end up in the black, but it's always because of what December looks like, you know, because you get this huge gift in December from somebody. Well, hey, plan that way. Think that way. Um, And so, yeah, I think budget's huge, but a lot of times that's the biggest issue. They just – a lot of churches don't function like that.
0: So what would you say to pastors who are not sitting in on their budget meetings or they have appointed someone to lead the finance team just because they're really not that into that? Like Mm -hmm. they just kind of – they don't want to be in that domain – Um, it seems to me, so I'm going to approach this from the perspective of, uh, what I think would be a bad way of doing it. And this is like, and I think it's a bad way because this is, this is really not supposed to sound like it smacks of hubris, but this is different or opposite from the way that we do it. Um, the, the way we do it, as far as I understand is that we have our departments and our Mm -hmm. departments come up with budgets based on where they, what they think they need for their department to succeed. Right um but the money is not just spent off of that decision like mm-hmm. it that those decisions are then funneled into a very narrow specific set of individuals who compose the finance team which yep. you are on that's correct and um the reason why i think that that's better than completely decentralizing the the steering of the budget is because then you can ensure that the spending is supporting the vision yeah the, the jet the overall vision and i don't know how that's even possible unless the senior pastor is on that team yeah. well yeah. Yeah, go ahead Todd. well I, I just i just wrote a, a homiletically sound sermon while
2: you were talking so i'll share it uh, <laughs> uh there are three things right that uh that, that drive and fuel the vision of a church. Number one is power, right? The power of the Holy Spirit. We have to have that. That has to be first and foremost. We have to be praying. We have to be seeking the face of God. We have to, you know, uh, and, if, and if we're not, and that's got to be first, right? And if if that's not the thing that we have first in in our priorities, then we're out of whack, right? Number two is the people, right? We have to be investing in our people. We have to recognize that that is our most valuable asset, like, you know, and we we have to love them well, shepherd them well, equip them for the work of the ministry, and number three is the purse, right? I mean, we have to have money, we have to have the financial wherewithal to do the things that we believe God is calling us to do, to, to help the poor, to, to take care of widows and orphans, to, you know, to uh, support other ministries and other organizations in our community that mm-hmm. are serving, and like... It takes – we have to have the financial wherewithal to do those things. And as the, as the senior leader of a church, even if you're not – you may not sit in on every financial meeting, right? That, that may not be necessary, but you need to know what's going on. You need to be speaking into that because as the, pa- as the senior leader, you're the visionary leader of your church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way you're going to be able to lead and execute that vision is if you know what you have in place to – to fulfill that vision yeah. and, and what, what what you know what needs to be done in those areas and in those arenas and and man if you have people that you can trust to to handle those things in in the primary then then let them do that but you can't you can't remove yourself from it or you're going to be disconnected from well from the vision really because you don't speak into it
0: mhm
1: so yeah you you mentioned um kind of our budget process and what that looks like. Do you want to do you want us to dive into that? Do you want me to just walk through that a little bit or Yeah, I
0: I I would like you to just because it seems to me like I know as I was going through pastoral ministry training, I encountered the attitude, let's say, of well, I would like to I would like my church to grow enough to where I don't have to be a part of administration where <laughs> I can just I can either hire an executive Uh pastor or I can delegate that somewhere else. The issue is that since coming here, um, I've seen it work so well Mm -hmm. having like part of the process is decentralized. That's why we have departments and we, we, part of their responsibility, part of their job description, uh, is to come up with, uh, budgets Mm -hmm. and, and even when the finance team comes back and says, Hey, you need to adjust your budget, then yeah. part of our responsibility is to adjust our budget. So there's things that are happening departmentally, but the the card isn't swiped. You know, the money is not spent until it runs through that final gateway. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a better way of doing it than that. I, I don't understand how you could I don't know how you could, as Todd was saying, use the purse to enforce the vision unless the senior pastor's in, involved in that process. Yeah. Because if, if, if it's the executive pastor and you just really trust that person, well then the executive pastor's casting the vision for your church and then why isn't he the senior pastor in some sense?
1: Yeah, and I could make a case that, um, I could make a case that the executive pastor could know the vision so well, that, that he stewards the vision so well from the pastor that he can do that. Yeah. Um, even with that, though, I would imagine that the bigger the organization gets, that executive pastor is still meeting with the pastor regularly. The pastor might not be mm-hmm. meeting with the C. Well, I was going to say CFO might not be meeting with the finance director or the bookkeeper or, you know, whoever is doing the actual numbers and, and putting the the data and some of those kind of things. But the pastor's still going to have a good idea of what's actually coming in and what's actually going out. Um, but those two things have to be connected, the vision and the finances and that's and that's an issue that a lot of times it's not. So so what we want to do is typically what we do is we start the budget process um, August or September for the following year. Our fiscal year is January to December, and I know some churches are different um, depending on um, usually it's based on when their what their cash flow looks like. So some of their fiscal years end um, after after, uh, like middle of the year so that, that they can capture Easter kind of toward the end of the fiscal year, you know, anyway, some of them it's October. It just kind of depends. Our, their fiscal year ends in September, October, November, December. Yeah. Anyway, so ours is January to December, usually budget end of, start the budget process end of August, beginning of September. And what we task our team with doing is um, let your plan drive your budget. Don't let the budget drive your plan. Because I've been places Mm -hmm. where we would just give budget numbers to their departments and be like, you've got $10,000 this year. Figure out what you're going to do with it. And I hate that so much because um, we're saying, hey, we're going to. Limit what you do based on the dollars. And what I'd rather do is figure out how to give more money if there's a good plan. And so we want the plan to drive the, the budget. And I know that's easy to say. Um, we you know, with the budget we've got compared to other budgets, you know, because if you're working on an $85,000 budget, your budget might be driving some of your plan. You might yeah. be pretty limited. Mm-hmm. So I get that for sure. But I would still dream big. And so what our departments do typically is they will look at their calendar year and go, what what do I need to do? Like with our youth ministry, uh, Gil will look at Hey, what is our flow? What are the events we're wanting to do? What are the spiritual checkpoints that we want our kids to hit? What are the how are we building the kids? And so he'll come up with a plan. He'll lay it out. He'll figure out the cost for that. He hopefully and the the team the team members that do it the best are the ones who actually put real numbers in it and they don't just guesstimate and hope they're figuring it out. I uh, hope they get it right. Um, and so, you know, he'll go through, he'll budget and go, okay, we're going to need a, a bus for that. And I'm going to put it all in. Here's how many kids we think we're taking to, and they put all those numbers in. And there's some things we'll cover, um, at a loss and we'll go, Hey, we don't expect the kids to pay for that. And we'll cover that, you know, but basically he submits a number. Here's what we need to do. Here's the plan I have. Here's what it's going to cost to do it. And almost every year we're going to go back to the departments and go, you don't got the money to do that. So you need to rework your plan. And, um, and again, I would rather do that than just say, Mm -hmm. here's your money. Um, and so that's typically how it goes. Um, this year we moved to quarterly budgets. And so the budgets then go from, from the department leaders to, um, to our finance team. It's our bookkeeper, our, um, stewardship coordinator, um our office director and then myself we'll sit down look at those together talk about them um and i think this year when budgets got uh, sent in for 2023 i think we could have adopted them exactly how they were because of where our finances were mm-hmm. but we still sent them back and said cut yeah because we we're trying to yeah. build in margin
2: well and here, here's at least from my perspective right um if you if you say, "Here's what we, here's how much we have," mm-hmm. we can only do this. Mm-hmm. You will always do less than if you dream big, and then go, "Okay, what you know?" Dial it back a dial, little. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I feel like people will always respond to a compelling vision. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're a pastor and you're leading your church, like man, cast a big vision. Yeah. Um, and and see how your people will respond but if you're always going well we're just not gonna be able to do we would but we
1: can't right yeah
2: then you're working from a you know uh, a deficit mentality you're working from a a lack mentality and and you you're always gonna lack
1: yeah so last we had a a board meeting last night and one of our board members has has he took a year off this is first year back on the board but he was on the board Oh, like 25 years before you know he brought was one of the board members that brought me here so he was around in the previous regime and um and I've never met the former pastor but um finances were tight when the former pastor was here and just cuz he he inherited a church of 75 people and they had no money and they had debt and they were trying to grow and um and one of the things he said is um or this board member said was he said you know what um Jake was good at casting vision, and he said we wouldn't have any money. But he would cast vision and say, "Hey, um, we need five thousand dollars to do this, and here's what it'll do, and here's what it'll help us do next." Because then, after that, we want to do this, and after that, we want to do this, and after that, and um, you know, I get a lot of credit for summit, you know, some of the things that have happened here. But Jake should get credit for helping build the church to where it was and help it get healthy enough. To be able to do some of the things we're doing today, but he led with incremental vision. Like, hey, here's what where we want to go. But in the short term, we can't afford to do all this, but we can afford to do this. So let's go do this. And so there might be some of you that are listening to this, like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got a ten million dollar dream and I've got a nickel size <laughs> amount of money to do it, right? So what do we do? Well, you lead with some incremental vision. Go, okay, here are the baby steps that are going to help us get to where we ultimately want to go. And I think that'll go a long way. Yeah,
0: that's super important. That's like, um, you know, the, the pyramids are built one layer at a time. Yeah. And I think that keeping that in mind, remembering where you were and, you know, where you are now. It's funny, um, our media director was showing us some live stream footage from like 2016, 2017.
1: Mm, it was painful, wasn't it? Yeah. I was like, yeah. ooh. Yeah. And at the time, we were like, we're doing okay. We're doing good because it was better than it was before. Because uh, when I got here in 2014, oh, my gosh, it was bad. <laughs> and Todd was here like six months after I got here. But it was – even when he got here, it was better, but it was still bad. Yeah. Um, but it was brutal, man.
2: I think we'd, we got new cameras and switcher and stuff – Right Right after I came or right about the time I came. And so, yeah, we made some real improvements, but still there was lots of room to go.
0: And it's really useful to remember those kinds of things because like, it just shows you that in in some sense, that's not that long ago. Yeah, And so that's amazing, you know, how far we've been able to come, but in another sense, like that took time and it took learning and all all kinds of things. And, you know, so I think that's important. And one of the things I want to add with this idea of, of having a plan, um, it's really useful. Having a plan is really useful when surprise expenses come up because you know, like what to prioritize. So like I had one of these come up like a week or two ago and I just didn't even see it coming. And I was like, "Uh Oh, um, now I got to send this in because this happens to actually be really important for what we're trying to do as a multi-site church, but it's not like as fun as like a new camera or something. But because we have a plan, because we know what we're trying to accomplish, we know which things while they might not be as like appealing on the surface level, we know what is critical to the vision of what we're trying to do. Yeah. And that helps you spend because like we, we talked earlier about just hoarding money versus reinvesting it. Well, blindly reinvesting. It isn't doing yourself or anybody else in right. any favors. And so th- there has to be some coordination to this or else you'll just end up broke. And well, your budget ends up becoming
1: a hierarchy of values. And here's what, we can do. Here's what's important to us. Here's what's not important to us. And and if you're smart, you're doing this with your family. If you've got kids, they want to eat ice cream every single day. But at some point, most of us have to say, we can't afford it. Well, how come? Because you're in dance. So <laughs> you can stop doing dance and we can eat ice cream every day. But, <laughs> but the budget is helping determine your hierarchy of values, right? Mm-hmm. So – Same thing should be true in a church where we go, oh, you want to do that? Well, you can, but we can't do this. Like, we've got to say no to something. Um, And that's part of the issue, too. When you're not living with a budget, um, everything becomes valuable because you have no foresight. You're not looking down the road going, well, we could do this now, but it'll keep us from doing that in three months, and that is better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really important.
0: Yeah. Saying no, shouldn't, shouldn't feel like a bad thing because saying no means you're going in a direction Yeah, because if you're going in a direction, you're not going in all the other directions. And so it's implicit in the idea of advancement is the process of saying no. So that's, that's all part of it. Yeah. And uh, so let me just
1: jump back real quick. So with the budgeting process, it goes to our budget team. We kick it back to our departments, the departments revisit, you know, if we say, Hey, we need you to cut by whatever. They revisit it, get it back to our budget team, and then our board approves it, usually in our December board meeting for our fiscal year the following year. So that's kind of what it looks like. Okay. And we typically try to budget between 90 and 95% of the previous year's income. So instead of saying, hey, we brought in – um, hey, we brought in $100,000 last year. We're going to budget $100,000 or worse. Hey, we brought in 100000 I believe God's going to do more, so we're going to budget 110000 next year. That's a problem um, because maybe God will show up and do that, um, but maybe not. And now you've made a plan that you can't fulfill. Um, and so for us, we just say, hey, we're going to build in margin by the way we budget. And even if we don't grow financially at all, we're still building in some margin, uh, and if we do happen to grow, if we grow five percent or twenty percent or whatever the number is, well, we can still live with our plan, and we've built in more margin for, you know, the things that we don't foresee. Like, oh my gosh, this crashed, and it's going to be five thousand dollars. We got to buy it now. Okay, mm-hmm. well, now we're not having to do a love offering or do a plea and beg people to help right. us and. So, yeah,
0: is that why we've determined that quarterly budgets are better than annual budgets? I mean, we made that shift recently, so yeah, I'm curious yes. about that
1: so this year we moved to annual or quarterly budgets just because we felt like with the the state of the just financial world, the where it is right now, just with everything going on, in the the banking industry and inflation and cost of living and. All those kind of things that we want to be nimble enough that we can make shifts and changes, and we felt like a quarterly budgets would help us do that, and so that's why that's why we shifted to that. And a lot of uh, larger churches that I've talked to, they've made the same shift where they've said, hey, let's do this, and it's a little more work for our team. But the team had to submit an annual budget at the beginning, and so really they just need to break it up. And when we went into our second quarter, we asked our, our team to, to cut 5% in their budget, and not to be a jerk, we actually didn't need need the departments to do that. <laughs> but what I wanted to do is make our departments look at their budget and go, okay, well, where am I at and what do we actually need mm-hmm. and what do I not need? And we might circle back next quarter and go, okay, we, we're still in a good place. Financially, we've built in some margin. Hey, if there was something you didn't do last quarter that you wanted to, you can go ahead and do that. Um, but again, we can't do that if everybody is – if everything is pegged out, we're spending to our max. We're spending everything we co- that comes in.
0: Um, That's interesting. Right. That, well, and
2: not only that, I mean, you know, uh, not only does it empower us, you know, at the department level, but something that, and, not, and Mel probably wouldn't say this himself, so I'm going to say it, something that we've also been able to do is because our leadership has created a structure of good stewardship, at the end of the year when we've had surplus, we've been able to bless some of our ministry partners and mm-hmm. things like that in ways that we would not have been able to if we weren't focused on being good stewards mm-hmm. and budgeting well in our departments and all of those kinds of things. So so it's not just something that benefits us as, uh, as, a, as a church organization, right? It's something yeah. that allows us to be a blessing to other people in ways that we would not be able to had we not
0: had the foresight to do that on the front end. Yeah. That's really good. Um, I I think it's interesting how, um, when you talked about the, the process of instructing the departments to cut 5%, even though you didn't need to do that. It's interesting how, um, you're seeing the value in teaching your department leaders, how to be good stewards financially, just through like orders from the top, essentially, Mm -hmm. like, and I think that's something that maybe gets overlooked often in churches is like, there's ways that, and maybe even in companies, like, there's ways that you can teach your people to be responsible financial stewards, even if you're not in a place financially where they need to be doing that, like, Mm -hmm. you can, and you can have, you can put policies forward, like, most people when they think, okay, uh, you know, this company is, is cutting their budget by 5% their immediate thought is, Oh, they must be in trouble. Yeah. But it's not always the case. Like you can just put a policy out like that because you're trying, the sole purpose of it is to try to train responsibility into the department leaders. That's, Mm -hmm. that's really smart.
1: Well, and if I had to do over, I would go back when we had uh, more volunteers that were, and we have a couple now unpaid staff that are writing uh, budgets. Um, but I would have done more of that earlier because of it, I realize now it does empower so instead you know we do well they're just a volunteer i'm not going to make them write a budget but if i say to them um hey dream about the year what do you want to do and i might have to say no to some of this but make a plan what you want your yeah. the kids ministry to look like this year um it maybe they'll look at it like oh this is homework and i don't want to do it but if they're the right people they're going to look at it and go awesome. Like, okay, I'm part of this team. Okay. I'm given more responsibility. Okay. He trusts me to dream for my department, not just babysit the kids. Um, I think it could be really helpful.
0: Yeah. And it's helpful for the, the person who, so this is something I want to just mention for anyone who maybe is, uh, if you're a pastor and you have someone who's leading under you, who's the leader of a department, or if you're the leader of a department, when you're given the opportunity to structure a budget Um, in, in many ways, you're also given an opportunity to make your own job better because like a lot of times whenever you come, I know for myself, I was coming into a, an infrastructure that wasn't built by me Mm -hmm. with the production department. And so there was a lot of stress as as a consequence of that, because I just don't work the same way as Mm -hmm. Kendall did whenever he was over it, we work differently. And so it was like wearing a shoe that wasn't fit for my foot. Um, And then, but because we are, because at Summit, we are empowered to structure budgets and to kind of decide where we see the department going, I was able to change a lot of things that ended up making my own life a lot better. Um, And and they also helped the department. And so like, there's ways, I think people, they get stuck in roles or situations and they think, okay, this, this is just how it's going to be. I'm just Mm -hmm. stuck here. It's like, that's not, that's not, true at all. It it almost any, I can't think of a job where you couldn't make your own job better and also, uh, create more value for the company. Mm -hmm. I I feel like that happens at every level. You're able to do that unless you work for a terrible company, but that's a different conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So this one I think is kind of interesting when it comes to talking discussions of revenue and ethics and these sorts of things. Um, should churches allow specific individuals in the congregation to fund particular ministries or building projects? Mm. Or should the church accept the generosity into like a general fund and prevent any projects from being driven by a single individual? So you have someone who's really wealthy in your church and says, hey, I really want to invest in an LED wall. I want to be, I want to pay for it for you. And maybe you're a pastor who's like, oh man, I've really been wanting an LED wall. Uh, Would you allow that to happen? Or would you... Politely decline, uh, and because of the potential pitfalls. You want to go first. Do You want me to go first.
2: Uh, sure, I can go. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's a there's a hard fast rule for this. Uh, some people I mean, people can feel free to disagree with me, uh, but I don't think there's a hard fast rule. I think the question comes in is whether or not there are expectations attached to the gift. Yeah, you know, uh, and. You don't always know that. Unfortunately, uh, I think the best we can do as leaders is communicate to people if they want to give a gift like that. It's like, hey, here's here's what I need you to know. Mm-hmm. We we appreciate your desire to do this, um, but also, you know, we'll sp- and we will spend this money for the thing that you are designating it for. But that is the limit of how you get to speak into this and and that's not you know obviously yeah. there are better ways to say it right but you need to communicate that once that gift has left their hands there's there's no like you, you don't you don't you don't get you can't buy influence here yeah. right that's not how this works you don't buy influence here uh, and so however however you need to communicate that well uh, you can decide on that but I think that's the thing that has to be understood if you're going to allow someone to give a big gift toward a particular thing in that way
1: mm-hmm Yeah. I don't feel, I don't feel bad if we cast a vision for something and somebody funds it themselves. I'm not going to be like, no, that's not going to work. Like praise God. Thank you that your vision lined up with this. Um, and you know, if I have a vision for something or if we present a need or, you know, and somebody wants to fund it that to me, that's one thing. If somebody comes to us and says, I really think we need to start doing this in our kids ministry and I'll pay for it. That's where I'm like, Yeah, does that line up with our vision Mm -hmm. or are they just trying to control things and push what they want? Um, And so I definitely have said no to some of those kind of things where I've been like, no, thank you very much. If you want to make a gift, then you can, you know, but but if you are just wanting to do that, then no, that's not part of the vision. And that's a really good thing. But we say no to good things so we can say yes to the best, best things. And that's something that you know we tell ministry partners a lot when we tell them sorry we're not going to partner with you you're doing great but just not quite in alignment with our vision so um but that kind of has to do with control too and that's one of the big reasons like for us at Summit generally speaking we've got a general fund and we've got kingdom builders and those are the only things you can give to at Summit and um um we don't let you i mean Do missions giving through Summit. We outsource all that. If you like a missionary, you want to give to them, give directly to them. I don't need the World Missions credit. I don't need the plaque on the wall from the Assemblies of God. Just give to them directly. Uh, Partner with them. We're going to keep partnering with them too, but you partner with them. And so there's some things we've done to just go, nope, you give here. Um, Because we've seen in some other churches, and maybe you're listening to this in your church like this. um, I've got friends in the area that they've got. I almost said the name of the church, but there's a church in our town and at one point the executive pastor was talking to me and he said that they had, I think he said they had 57 different accounts. Um, that people could give to in their church. And so when the people were upset with the pastor, they would stop tithing. They would stop giving to the general fund and then just give to one of the designated accounts so that they couldn't spend it. And oh so God. it was like, okay, I'll show you. You <laughs> yeah, think you're gonna, yeah. no, uh, no, this is my church. And, and so that was one of the things for me that I was like, you know what, we're going to shift this. And we never had that many accounts, but I think at one point we had like 12 or, you know something. And so we just, now we have one bucket. We've got one vision and, um, and that vision funds, I mean, that, that bucket funds the vision and the vision looks differently with youth and kids and, you know, all these things, but that's yeah. how we function.
0: It's really interesting how many hidden traps there are in pastoral ministry. Like it's, it's quite astounding. <laughs> oh <man. laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. This, this is a good one to, I think to finish on and just on that point about like, accepting the gift i think a lot of that comes into so if somebody came up to you and said hey i want to buy you an led wall i think this church really could benefit yeah. from one you could take that gift because you're not afraid to have the conversation later like if they come up to you and say hey that's my led wall like, yeah. you'll just say no it isn't like, that's correct it's, <laughs> you know? right yeah and so some of that like you just have to be able to be direct yeah. and the directness solves the problem like if it's time to replace the led wall and the person who bought it um or who, who who gifted for it uh is upset because it's you know we've moved past that technology into something yeah. else like that's just a hard conversation and yep. if you're okay with hard conversations then you can you can pass over a lot of that
1: well uh, but some of this goes back to like we feel like sometimes we have to cater to big givers in our church and the reason is it goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning do we trust that god is our source or do we think that this guy who gave, gives a big amount of money is our source? Right. Um, and that will drive our behavior. And so if we think God is our source, it makes it a lot easier to have a, a hard conversation with a giver and go, hey, you can't do that. Hey, we're not going to do this. Hey, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but it 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 Again, it comes back to my motivation because sometimes my motivation can drift and I can go, my source is these people. And if that is the case, I am never going to be able to pastor them the way they need to be pastored. Um, If I think, hey, this is a quid pro quo, I'm going to be nice to them and then they're going to give me some money so we can do what we want to do. Nope, you've just jacked up the whole relationship. That Mm -hmm. is not the way that's supposed to function at all.
0: Yeah. So this, this last question here, I think is kind of in the same vein and I'm really interested in knowing if, uh, we'll get to the end of it and then I'll tell you what I'm interested in. (laughs) Uh, so should there be ethical considerations for a church when it comes to who they accept money from? Are there certain kinds of people or organizations (laughs) from which a, a church should reject their offers of donation? And if we remove these ethical constraints, do we put ourselves on a track? This is the part that's interesting to me. Do we put ourselves on a track which leads to the selling of indulgences? So, like, I I could see a path mm-hmm. where... Uh, and either of you can explain what the selling of indulgences are for people who maybe don't know, but... For our non-Catholic yeah. listeners. Yeah, like, I think that's how you get there, right? Like, it's, it's like, okay... All money is good money and we need it. It's it's okay to take it just because we're going to use it for advancing the kingdom of God. But uh, I don't know because isn't that how you get to selling indulgences? Let's talk about that. Like what do you, do you have ethical considerations when it comes to donors? Do you vet them? Do you think about them? Um, or when it comes to companies that would like to support the ministry, uh, are there conditions along which you would reject (laughs) their offers of donation?
2: Uh, i'll I'll let mel speak to this more but i i mean given our model of giving uh if pablo escobar came to our service (laughs) and then dropped a large amount of money in the box on his way out uh number one if it wasn't a check we would never even know who dropped the money in the box unless someone went pablo escobar just put money in the box you know what i mean so uh so from that standpoint like Drug dealers could come to our service and give, and we would never know it was a drug mm-hmm, dealer. Mm-hmm. We're going to take that money. We're going to use it for the kingdom. Um, now, that's different though than if you know a drug dealer comes to the office during the middle of the week and goes, you know, hey, if you know, will, will I go to heaven if I give you money? Well, yeah. that's a that's a whole other right thing.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to sound like a money-grubbing pastor when I say this. If Al-Qaeda wrote us a check, I would take it. And the reason is, if they're giving us money, that's less money for them to spend. And so, yep, I'll take it. If Planned Parenthood sent us a check, I would take it. Um, and again, it sounds, sounds like I'm a horrible human being, <laughs> but, um, if there are no strings attached, like quid pro quos, right. Yeah, um, yeah. kind of like even the individual donor in our church, if they were giving me money and saying, here are the strings that are attached to this, I would say no to that. Cause we've had some, and we've had some that have tried to skirt some like donation laws by going, Hey, I want to give you money. And then, but I want you to give it to so-and-so, right? N- no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, you just give it to them. Well, I want the tax write off. N- no, no, we're not going to do that. That's illegal, number one. And number two, um, that's not benefiting the church. And anyway, and so there are people, there are times I've said no, but if somebody sends us a check or wants to give us money with no strings attached, um, I will absolutely take the money of the wicked and redeem it for good things. Yeah. But yeah. if, but part of the indulgences thing with the Catholic Church was. Uh, they were – it was selfishly motivated because they knew, hey, these people are not going to – their hearts are not changing. Their lives are not changing. We are giving them a get-out-of-jail-free card essentially, mm-hmm. um, and they can buy it. And so um, it is – personally benefiting me and it goes back to what i said earlier about multi-level marketing and those kind of things if my motivation is this is personally benefiting me if i get the people to give then your relationship is wrong it is messed up it is you're not a servant you are you are profiting from them you're taking from them and that is a pastor who intentionally takes from their people and um, I'll say it this way: if you if you make them a victim, um, uh, that is, I think there's a special place in hell for pastors who do that, mm, and we are yeah. going to be held accountable for that. Um, I don't know if that yeah, answers yeah. your question.
0: So the it seems to me the key possibly isn't even even in the name selling of indulgences because it's the difference is that the selling of indulgences is a transaction whereas the donation from al-qaeda is actually just a donation yeah and so you're not actually transacting anything with the wicked person in the case of accepting a donation but with the, if you set up an industry of, hey, mm-hmm. you're about to commit this grievous sin against God, but if Absolutely. you come to my office first and give me some money, I'll grant you absolution for this thing. And then, yeah, and, hey,
1: if you give this amount, you won't have to come to church for the next month. I won't, you know, it, it'll be it'll be all good with God. It'll, you know.
0: Well, that's so right. that's really interesting. Like that, I, I think well, let's hover on that for a second. So, so this really man so you're saying you'll accept donations from al-qaeda but under no circumstances would you grant a person permission to skip church if they give you money like 100%. That, that really underlines this like <laughs> to, to it really gets down to the core of the issue like well it's look whether it is
2: uh the good deeds that we do whether it's the money that we're giving whether it's whatever those should be responses to grace, not means of gaining grace. Mm-hmm. And any time we communicate to people that the good that we do is an effort to earn grace or to earn favor from God, well, then we've we've stopped preaching the gospel. Yeah. You know? Uh, those are responses to grace, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Uh, and so, you know, to me, that's where the difference comes in. Uh and so, you know, if – I don't know why Al-Qaeda is writing us checks, but <laughs> – We are going to get dinged by the NSA. Oh, know, you know I that know. this
1: podcast is going to – some guy in some cubicle somewhere is going to have to listen to this because we've said that so often.
2: Yeah. By the way, al Qaeda's never written us a check, but if you're listening, we would gladly take it. Uh, Tax-deductible so. donation. <laughs> but if, you know, if someone is giving – thinking that they're going to get something yeah. either from the church or from God in return then they've then then either we've miscommunicated the gospel or they have a misunderstanding at, at
0: best yeah I, I wish that um, churches did more to communicate these principles of giving and these principle these financial principles and and just uh, did more to to teach the public about how in, in a healthy church, the the whole structure of money is based on godly biblical principles. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever the, the dichotomy that we laid out at the end there just really nailed that down. And um, I just, I'm really appreciative for that. That's, that's so good. Um, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap this up. I think that we, um, yeah, we've, We've, run the We've covered a lot of ground here. Yeah.
1: Well, and I just want to say, too, hey, if you're a pastor and you're listening to this and you found yourself stuck, you found yourself in a place that we described maybe, and you need help, I want to encourage you reach out to us. Let us know. Um, my email is mel at summitpa.church. Email me. Uh, reach out to me. Call the church office. Uh, our, our number is on the website, summitpa.church. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to help you um, just put some plans in place, help you take the next step. Our people are available to you. Um They help, they will help you figure out QuickBooks or what you need to do on the bookkeeping end. I mean, we were, we are happy to resource you and help you get this, you know, get this done better in your church. And so if we can make that better, we will. So,
0: yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us. You've been listening to the back 40 leadership podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcasts.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.